you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Karen Feiderman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, one top market bull says buckle up. We are in for a 20% rally this year. Wow. Tell us why he is so bullish and what will lead the way. Plus, the Apple inferno rages on and the troubles of the tech giant are seeping into the semi-space. We'll tell you just how bad things could get, but we start off with earnings season officially underway. Citigroup this morning jumping in. Revenue. The stock is up 4%. The market taking a win in stride, of course. We still got a lot ahead of us this season. But did City just give the all clear signal, or is this just the calm before the earnings storm? Pete, what do you think? I think it would be uh, crazy for us to say, hey, look, this is absolutely going to clean up all of what we're going to hear in the next earnings cycle. But, but at the same time, I, uh, this is a sector that's been beaten down. We all know that. Last year was very t- tough on the financials. And the fact that there's negative news overall, I mean, those revenue numbers were, were not great. Good. And the FIC number, absolutely awful. But they, they had some good numbers within there. They had the loan growth was good. You look at the equity trading, that was great, I thought. But so when you look at all of that and piece it together, it wasn't something so positive. And I think the initial reaction was probably right, which was down. But the fact that it flipped around, whenever you get relatively bad news, which I think it was, I don't think it was a great number across very many metrics there. The fact that we moved higher, that's a good sign. It, so, it shows you that people are out there willing to put money to work now. Good reaction to bad news is what right, you're pointing exactly out. Right. something yep. good. Okay. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it was that bad news. I think, you know, if you look at their, their lending operations for 2019, they got it. They're going to have $2 billion more in lending revenues in the upcoming year, which is very good. It's a company that also, in the past, we've been worried about their credit quality. Essentially, you saw the credit quality remain very, very high. It's also interesting, and this is a, cla- a case of glass half, uh, half full when many people used to see it half empty, is that if you look at where they their expenses where they're down 4% year over year for this quarter. And people say, hey, that's not bad for a company that during difficult times could not be t- cost efficient. And they're doing that now in a difficult period. So um, I think the numbers had a low bar, but I think these numbers were far from bad and trading up on less than bad. Does it speak well for the rest of the financials out this week? I think so. I think um, I agree with Tim, though. I think it wasn't really wasn't bad, but I think it that- wasn't good. I mean, like when you take a look at the reaction, was it 4% up good? It shouldn't have been here. Okay. That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that made this decent earnings is that it really shouldn't have been here. I mean, if you look at their return on, on equity, you know, they're getting to over 10 and a half, a little higher, actually. That's not terrible, especially for a stock that trades at eight something times earnings, that trades at 80 percent of book value, that's improving and also has a dividend yield. It shouldn't have been here. But I think it does speak well for the uh, if, if, what, what, part of the things that I think made uh, City trade well today was the commentary from Corbett talking about the economy of the U.S. Mm-hmm. as pretty, pretty healthy and, and very different than what we seem to think, you know, as the market seems to reflect, oh, my God, all kinds of fears of the economy going into a recession. They're not seeing that. So I think that was helpful. To the extent that they're seeing loan growth, I think a J.P. Morgan will as well. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they had that FIC number was awful. I wouldn't be surprised right. if J.P. Morgan had that as well. Bank of America sort of in their own on their trade. They haven't, they haven't done as well. Their M&A hasn't done as well. I think it speaks well for the other banks. I'm long both. We'll see tomorrow morning. 
Well, I think it does for today, right? So we're going to have a, a whole host of reporting. Tomorrow morning we have J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, then we have Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. In the next couple of days, I think what the most important thing to remember here is that the banks crashed in December. We saw Bank of America, we saw Wells Fargo, we saw Citigroup. The market crashed. Down, well, we saw these guys go down 20% in a straight line. Mm-hmm. The last time we saw that sort of behavior by U.S. banks was back during the sovereign debt crisis in Europe, you know, 2011, 2012, that sort of volatility, and then we have to go back to the financial crisis when we saw that. So to me, when you think about it, you one of you guys just said that they shouldn't have been here. Okay, so you've had this kind of reflex move back up um, over the last couple of weeks. It's been a massive move. But I think most importantly, you're going to see that this news may not be good enough to take it back above like certain technical levels. Well, especially think, considering the revenue number. I mean, that that bothered yeah. me. The fact that it's down two percent year over year. I mean, that that's that's a little bit concerning. If I think we needed to, if we're, if we're going to be as confident as we no, normally are on this desk about the banks. They've got to beat on earnings. They've got to beat on revenue. They've got to beat on all kinds of numbers. If they match on a few, that's fine. But the fact that they missed as much now, is it more Citigroup specific? And that's something we're going to find out. And the FIC, it, it, it depends how deep are, the, are you in. There are some banks that are absolutely involved there. There are other, other banks, like a Morgan Stanley, I would say, for instance. I think Morgan Stanley, after looking at what the equity trading is right now for, for Citi, if there's a read-through, Tells me that should be pretty strong over at Morgan Stanley as well. What's interesting is when people talk about December, Dan talked about how painful it was for the banks. Um, and they talked about it on their call. that credit spreads widened up so much that there was zero trading activity. Yeah. We often think that banks during a volatile period are actually going to have very good sales and trading activity. Well, they it had also, good equity activity. They had good equity activity. Yes. But it, it also speaks to what we had to talk about all the time in December, which is that this is a market that seized up. And, and so we talked about credit. We talked about how high yield was at two and a half year lows and that we hadn't really seen the credit deterioration in markets until then. All my high yield traders were saying basically no bids were, were, were getting a hard look. And, and the bottom line is, I think it just tells you where markets were. I don't know if that's actually good news. It tells you markets didn't trade. They didn't, they, you know, the, right. the credit markets didn't trade with a ton of liquidity. They actually seized up and nothing happened. Volatility is great unless it's going down, down, right. down. Right. I mean, right. up and down is great for any of these guys, but all down is not good. All down's not good. I think no trading is not good right, when you right. get to that. Although, I mean, City did call out foreign exchange is really, that was in, in thick, that was more of the problem. Yep. But they also did say we're seeing things better since then. Right. So let me ask you this question again. Is it a is would this, you rather time? No, no. <laughs> okay, and I felt oh, you weird. Just read my you language. did that earlier today. Wow. Wow. That was great. I'm going to not do that again. Going there. No, I, asked, again. I asked at the top of the show whether City was sort of the all clear for earnings season in general. And Dan oh. raised a good point in terms of December, the whole markets went down and maybe we should not have been there specifically for the banks. Should we have been there for the overall markets? Have we discounted sort of the bad news? So when you read through the earnings, it's okay to have you know, earnings quality, the EPS, yeah. not as strong because of a lower tax rate, a revenue miss. You look through those sorts of things. I think there are, we have some leeway here. I think there, are, there is leeway in specific areas, absolutely. And I think we've, we've talked about that many times on the desk about some of the names that have absolutely been bludgeoned and, and hit down to the downside to the point where even if they don't have growth this coming year, I think there's still buys. But I'm not so sure that the banks have to prove something still because last year was the banks awful. are their own animals. They're their in own this animal. Market. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I and don't the, think you can extrapulate. To well, of course. Right. Hold on. Hold, right. on. Yeah. hold right. on. The banks are the lifeblood of our economy. Okay. So like the fact that the banks underperformed all of last year in a very volatile year, and the fact that they crashed in a straight 
line in December. That is very troubling. If, this, if Citigroup is as good as it gets for this period, as far as this, the reaction of the stocks, then we're going to have a very volatile year, at least in the next few months, for, for the rest of equities. But I, I can't accept the fact that banks were the, the, the lone crashers in the middle of this. Semis were down 17 yes. percent. Right. I mean, you, know, you can't tell me. I, I get the fact that banks um, could be seen at the epicenter, especially if there's a credit what storm. What do you think so is more economically imply, but, sensitive but credit, Semiconductors but or bank stocks? Semiconductor companies or bank I didn't hear your question because I was talking. What do you think more economic? I can't hear you. It's it's apples to oranges. What's the question? The question is, what is more economically sensitive, banks or semi-stocks? I think semis. I I think think semis semis proved it. The question, as a business or as a stock? A sector as a tell on the rest of the market. We're not going to agree, so you probably want to move on. You say banks over semis. I mean, it's obviously banks. Don't be silly. Is that what you said last week? You said Tim was being silly? Yes. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm a rascal. All right. What can I tell you? Our next guest says forget about an earnings storm. A mega rally for the market is coming. Let's bring in Steve Chavarone, Portfolio Manager at Federated Investors. Steve, welcome to the show. I'm going to start this interview with in an unconventional way. I'm going to ask this desk what they think of your prognostication of up 20% this for the year. Fun. Show of hands. Who believes the markets will go up 20% this year? Over what period? Just by the end of the year? By the end of the year. All right. Steve, you think the markets are going to go up 20% by the end of the year? I do. Why? No offense, but I'm not discouraged. Look, that's fair. We, we, we just talked about the fact that's that the totally market fair. shouldn't be here, right? And that was the idea, right? Banks shouldn't be here. We don't think that the market should have ever been at 2350. Um, at 2350, in our mind, you're pricing in a recession. If you don't have a recession, then we think that there's considerable recovery. And if you go back and you look at the prior non-recessionary pullbacks, 15, 20% pullbacks, you fall on average about 20%. It takes you a couple of months to double bottom, but your six and 12 month out returns are quite good. It's 20% over six months. It's 30% over 12. We think that at $170 in earnings, the PE multiple can get back to 18 times. That's lower than it was a year ago at this time. And we think $170 in earnings is no more than what the consensus is looking for. We think it's going to take time. There's going to be volatility. Earnings season will be messy. But ultimately, if there's no recession, we think that's where we're headed. All right. So let me ask you, it, the market's not a monolith, right? Yep. So, there's, so do you feel that broadly? Or are there specific sectors that you think they're going, to, they're going to lead the way and others are going to be laggards? I think the Fed changing their tone is a game changer. They were a source of volatility through the entire back half of last year. Powell almost looked like a prisoner when he pulled out his piece of paper <laughs> to an impromptu question. Was he blinking? Said, I'm <laughs> never going to hike ever again. Um, the most interest rate sensitive parts of the market, cyclicals, small caps, dividend payers, EM, I think all of those can lead. All the stuff that got hammered in December that really took it on the chin, we think that's where you have opportunity. Now, it's scary to buy those right now, but we think that's where the most opportunity lays. Yeah. Steve, ultimately, though, when you talk about we're not having a recession or you don't think we're having yep. a recession, that's fair. Uh, but what if by the third quarter, and, and I think it's difficult to, to, to argue against it being late cycle. Yep. Um, we're not going to get two successive quarters of negative growth, but mm-hmm. we certainly the market could be pricing in recession. And I agree that the market priced banks to recession in yep. December, and we're not there. And by any measure of where banks have been at this stage of the economy. Sure. So agree. But I don't believe that by September we can have a different view of 2020. It's, look, it's entirely possible. Here's how we think about it. When you look at the leading indicators of recession, you have credit spreads, you have unemployment claims, what they're doing, you have housing starts. All of those have deteriorated off their best levels, but none of them are anywhere near recessionary levels, and those are leading indicators of recession. If anything, we think, what, as you get to that September part of this year, 
you're going to have gone through that earnings slowdown where we grow at 5 or 6% a quarter, and you may be seeing an acceleration at the end of that. A recession will come, and it'll kill us. We just don't think it's the end of 19, beginning of 20. Right, but, Steve, if we go back and look at 2018. We had an up 7 8% S&P 500 at its highs, and we closed down 7%. It was down more than that at its lows. Yep. What are the catalysts in 2019? If we all can agree that we are in a late-cycle economy, what are the catalysts for the stock market here in the U.S., especially with the backdrop of slowing economic data in Asia and Europe, and, and, and obviously here, too? What are the catalysts? I just don't see it. I think there's a couple. I think, one, the Fed being on hold is a big one because the market was pricing in a rate hike a quarter between now and until the end of days. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to get some certainty on trade. Now, whether or not it's everything we want, we'll see. But at least when there's certainty, companies can start to invest again. And then I think the third thing is, is because of that weak data, you know, the bulls always are trying to play this game a couple levels out, whereas the data today is usually the, the fertile ground of the bear. Central banks are not going to lead themselves to the end of the world. Neither are governments. And I think you're going to see stimulus worldwide over the course of this year. You're already starting to see it in China. The fact that we've removed the kind of rate hike cycle here in the U.S., you're going to see that. The idea that Draghi's going to hike this summer, that's insane. Of course he's not. And so I think those will also provide some catalysts over the course of the year. I'm gonna and ask, you were pricing in recession. I'm going to ask you the same question that, I, that Dan wanted to ask Tim. What, <laughs> what is more economically sens- sensitive in your view? Is it banks or is it semiconductor stocks? And which sector do you look oh, that's to? That's a great question. If that, if that sector falls, will that give you a clue as to how the rest of the markets will act? I'm going to try to split the needle on this. I think in terms of pure trading, I think the semis tend to be a little bit more cyclical. However... It's unquestionable that banks are the transition mechanism through the entire economy. I think that's what folks are missing here because there's this belief that if you have a slowdown in housing or if you have a slowdown in the overall market, you're going to have an 08-style collapse. But you don't have the transition mechanism in the banks that you had 10 years ago because they're so darn healthy. And so, yeah, look, all cyclical sectors got hammered. In fact, financials weren't the least of which when you look at, at, at Q4 as a whole. Industrials were just as bad, materials, energy. The entire cyclical part of the market got hammered because the market was pricing in a recession. We don't think it's going to happen, and so we think you take the over. Steve, great to have you. Thanks for coming by. Steve Chavarone of Federated. All right, Pete, I will go to you. You did not raise your hand. You did not agree with Steve first. You heard what Steve had to say. And I'm I'm generally bullish, even even in the market that we're in right now, and we have a lot of uncertainty out there. But the reason I didn't raise my hand for the 20%, 20%, I think, is a pretty extraordinary move. And I I would say if if the number was a little bit less, it was something like 10 15%, maybe I think there's a chance there because there were pockets that were so overpriced, there's no doubt about it. So when we bring up this PE of the S&P, there are certain areas there that were absolutely Absolutely extraordinarily high that deserve to be hit. And I think there are areas now that are so inexpensive we can buy them. I think industrials are cheap, financials are cheap. I think those could lead us to the upside, mm-hmm. but 20%, I don't think so. Which areas of the market do you see close to up 20% in 2019? <laughs> or as close as you can get to 20% up? I think what, what Pete just talked about, I mean, it's possible energy, particularly anything that's levered, right? Mm-hmm. If, we get a, if we get a recovery in energy and there's leverage beneath it, equities could absolutely move 20%. That would probably be one. Some retail, I think, way overdone. I could see up 20. Coming up, Micron and Western Digital both taking a hit today as Wall Street waves a red flag for these chip stocks. Is there even more pain ahead? Plus, the biggest car makers are going electric as General Motors and Ford, among others, are trying to take on Tesla. But can the other car stocks catch up? And later, healthcare under pressure. But Pete here says there is one stock in the sector that has him yelling, yeah, giddy buddy. up. Yeah. Let's give us a name when he steps up to the plate for the fast pitch. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Automakers are in high gear at Detroit's auto show, and the largest car companies have their eyes set on Tesla, as Ford, Nissan, and GM are all rolling out big plans for the electric car market. Phil LeBeau is live in Detroit with more on the story. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa. Tesla is not here at the Detroit Auto Show, but there's no doubt that the influence of Tesla can be felt when you talk with executives from the different automakers. Here's an example of what we're talking about. There's a greater emphasis now more than ever to develop electric vehicles, more than just a niche model here or there. What are we talking about? Start off with Volkswagen. Today, committing to building a second assembly plant here in the United States. It'll build only electric vehicles. It'll be right next to the other VW plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee. When we talked to Ford CEO Jim Hackett yesterday, he was talking about their development of electric vehicles, and he said to me, we've got an EV surprise for sometime next year. And then you have Cadillac coming out with an all-electric model by 2021. And when I asked the president of Cadillac, how much are you benchmarking Tesla, the success of Tesla, what did he say? Obsessively. Here's more from Steve Carlisle. I think they've done a lot to popularize um, electric vehicles and to get into the minds of consumers. Uh, I think that's been very valuable. Um, yeah, I'd say that's the, and, and just push the envelope in terms of thought process and, uh, you know, uh, made everybody a little bit sharper and on their game. I would say that. Uh, I think we had to wait a while to write the whole story because we don't know what happens when EVs really start to scale from a, uh, a distribution and a customer experience perspective. So, you know, for the rest of it, and, and, and a profitability perspective. So I, I think we've got to wait a little while before we write the whole story. Well, that story is starting to be written in terms of EV sales here in the United States. Take a look at this graphic because this says it clearly. If you look at Tesla sales in the United States, the estimate last year, almost 200,000, that easily dwarfs what... Uh, was done by General Motors, Toyota, Nissan, BMW, add all of them up. They almost equal what Tesla did last year in terms of sales. They don't even match it yet. The bottom line is this, guys. Tesla, while it, nobody is saying that they have won the electric vehicle race, there is no doubt that automakers and executives are no longer poo-pooing them. When I talk with the uh, executives here at the Detroit Auto Show, there is now genuine, not only respect, but also a little bit of What's next from Tesla? How do we catch up with what they're doing? Nobody's saying they can't catch up, but it certainly is on the minds of automakers here at this auto show. Guys, back to you. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau at the Detroit Auto Show. Lots of great stuff coming out of that show. Um, so, Pete, you know, what is amazing about Tesla is as quickly as they were able to ramp up. Yeah. I would think that bears would say, so can GM, so can BMW, so can any of the car manufacturers who actually are able to produce on mass scale already another kind of vehicle. I, I would think that that competition level is going to escalate very rapidly. Yes, absolutely. But you also wonder, does does Tesla already have something that they don't have, which is that that factor of we got to have it, which I think Tesla still owns. I mean, when you look at the electric market overall, you look at a lot of what's out there and you still look at Tesla and say, you know what? These guys are the king. 
they, they still command. So I think the American makers are going to have to go very aggressively if they want to. In other words, they've got to make these things look better than the, what they've done in the past to actually start to compete with the Teslas of the world. I mean, comparing a Bolt to a Model 3. Not even. Not nice. really close. So, so you know how I feel about Tesla, which is that I think it's a great car, and I think it's wildly, wildly overpriced, and I think that there's still a lot of questions about the validity of a lot of their numbers. So uh, I agree with Pete. I mean, Tesla is a beautiful car. People that own it are, are uh, almost unanimously bullish on the quality of the product. Um, but if you if you don't believe that BMW can't compete in that space, um, and let's face it, the valuation of Ford relative to the valuation of Tesla, I mean, most arguments are apples and oranges. But I'm going to tell you that if, if Tesla is priced only as a growth company, at some point their day of reckoning is coming because there's no question operational excellence has to enter into the equation, and that's definitely not there. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, BMW. I mean, when I think about Tesla, you know, they, they wanted to get to the mass market with a Model 3, but the average price of that was like $55,000. The average price of a car sold in America is $34,000. So they may never get there. So it may be the Germans competing with them on the high end. And one of the things I think is really interesting is that when we saw that Ford executive, he wasn't dismissive. I think back to 2007. Remember Apple introduced that new cell phone, right? And the kings of cell phone were Motorola, Nokia, and Black they were Ford. all really dismissive of this company coming in and doing something very different. So to your point, it may always be a very high-end product, but that executive also talked about profitability. They haven't really been able to do, do it profitably yet, and if they start competing with the BMWs or the likes, that may really hurt them, and they may, may never, ever have a mass-market product. They may but always be on the high A GM end. investor standpoint, do you right. want to see them spend the money to go into this market when profitability in the long run is a little bit of a question mark? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think they have to. It's an imperative. Yeah. And I think that Mary Barra sees it as an existential issue for GM and is putting resources there like, you know, this has been a monumental shift over years. And I think that GM can compete. Uh, and it's not reflected at all in their stock price, right. but I think they can compete. All right. For more on the Detroit Auto Show, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I am going to be a very rich dude. And if you want to be rich, too, a top fund manager who beat the market last year says she has the one key to getting ahead in the markets this year, too. Plus, health stocks are lagging behind to kick off 2019. But Pete Najarian is stepping up to the plate with one he says could be a home run in the sector. There's much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. More turmoil in the tech space. Check out Apple under pressure today as RBC warns its service business is slowing. At the same time, Wall Street raises the red flag on two chip stocks, Micron and Western Digital. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for the details. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Good to see you. Apple had another tough day, down 1.5%, now down 5% for the year. That's greatly underperforming the S&P, which is up 3% for the year. So the big issue, fears of plummeting iPhone sales in China. Not surprisingly, with peak smartphone talk all the rage these days, everybody's giving advice to Apple. It's kind of funny to watch this. So, for example, Wedbush says Apple needs to cut prices in China and boost its services by buying companies that provide videos and other entertainment. Buying something, anything, is easy advice to give when you're sitting on north of $200 billion in cash. Thank you, Wedbush. Barron's, for example, said over the weekend Apple should buy Nintendo and get deeper into gaming. And a tough day for storage manufacturer Western Digital's Evercore ISI analyst CJ Muse downgraded the stock, raising doubts about the sustainability of its $2 dividend. Now, the downgrade also sent the stock of rival NAND supplier Micron Technology down almost 4%. Is anybody surprised by this? This weekend, I bought a 4-terabyte external disk drive for $160, 4 terabytes. That would have cost $400 a couple of years ago. That's 60% less than just a few years ago. The prices are plummeting, and prices for old-fashioned storage are plummeting. But more importantly, even flash memory, NAND as it's called, those prices are also now dropping fast. So throw in the fact that Western Digital has also lost share to Seagate over the past year. Um, and there's good reason to be concerned about that $2 dividend, which, by the way, now 5.3% yield. Now, does this signal more trouble for tech in general? None of this news is terribly shocking. The market's been taking down 2019 earnings estimates for technology in general for some time. So look here, November 1st, the earnings were expected to be up 5.2% in 2019 for tech in general. They've already been cut in half to 2.6%. So the market's already adjusting to this new reality. Back to you, Melissa. Four terabytes. It's a heck of a lot, a lot of storage, storage Bob. Bob. I don't know what you're storing. You can use the cloud, you know. I got a lot of photos and a lot of iTunes. Yeah. But four terabytes for it's, $160. It's amazing. It's, I, can, wow. I could store yeah. everything I have. Um, thank you, Bob. Bob Bistani right. at the New York Stock Exchange. Well, the semis have performed well in 2019 so far, but can they weather the storm? Dan. Uh, I mean, listen, you know, here's another sector, obviously, like you said, it crashed in the end of last year, but it had been declining all year long. And we know that it's not just about smartphones or PCs, it's data center, it's industrial. There's a lot of things that were slowing. So in the first half of 2018, you saw this inventory build in front of all the trade tensions, and then you saw business come to a halt in the second half of the year. It wasn't good if you are a component to all this other stuff. So to me, I think valuation, I think that was one thing that a lot of people are saying that you're pretty good if you can make it out of 2019. But I don't really see any reason to buy them right now. I don't know any catalysts in the next few months. Well, as it relates to Apple, I mean, I don't know if it was down on the services story or the semi story. I feel like it's been down on the semi story a over lot. And over, over and over and again. over and over and over again. What is new there? I don't really know. The extent if services are actually, if that, if that part of the story is beginning to crack, then that is problematic. But I think the semi part of the story is very much priced in. Worry yeah. about that, Pete, because that was always your your thing. Yeah, service, the services, service, services, 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 and wearables, wearables, wearables. Those, uh-huh. those two areas where, where I think you're still seeing the growth. But is it slowing down? It probably is. I, I would expect that it is, especially with the fact that their sales of the phones have probably slowed down enough that we're starting to see a little bit of, a, of, of an effect from that. I think there are semis out there, though, that you can look at. I think if you're just focused on the memory part, 
that's going to be really tough because it's just such a buildup yeah. right now. But I think there are names out there where there's they've got other Intel, for instance. I think is a great example. That and Nvidia. Nvidia. I still I say this every day, but I'm still amazed. At $280 a share, you look at Nvidia and everybody loved it. It's trading like 70 times. Now it's trading 21 times. It's trading 150. It was down to 130. So it's made a nice bounce. But I think those are the kind of names that you want to own in this market. So two things. On the fundamental side, I don't think demand has fallen off a cliff. I just think that there's a major, there's a major overhang. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And especially in DRAM. I, I think you've had a major, major overhang. It's not going to change. It's certainly not going to work it off. Then you start to hear Micron talking about AI, where, you know, where the demand is like six times higher on DRAM. But you know, you know, that, that sounds like a company that's really relying on something that hasn't been a big part of their core valuation. If you look at semis, though, off the bottom, they're still in this downtrend. Micron, despite rallying 30% off the bottom from Christmas, if you follow that line straight down from June, it is not broken out of that. And until it does, I think you have to be careful. And that means you are, you're skeptical of the overall market. Well, you, I think Micron, <laughs> Micron gets painted uh, a lot harder and should than the rest of the sector. Semis as a group have not traded as poorly, but still are in that downtrend. You know, I want to make one point about Apple and services. Really interesting. Obviously, this could be the third year in a row, likely, that uh, units decline year over year. That's why they don't want to tell us how many units they sell. And like you said, service is kind of a lagging sort of thing. But, you know, in the quarter that they reported in November, we're going to get new data in a couple weeks, was only up 17% year over year. Now, that, granted, was a $10 billion number, but it's very reliant on that user base, and it's on that user base growing. Sequentially, it was only up 5%. So to me, you know, yes, that's exciting, but it's really going to be important, especially if the high-end uh, phone market is saturated, and they're never going to make it in emerging markets. They're going to continue to need to grow services. We know it's better margins, and if they can't do that, that means they're not expanding their ecosystem, and that's what this whole story in Apple's been for 12 years. Still ahead, one top fund manager who beat the market last year says she has three new picks that will blow it out of the water in 2019. She'll be here to tell us what they are. Plus, Pete here, stepping up to the plate. Look, there he is. How'd he get there so fast? Warming up to pitch the one healthcare stock he says is about to see a major breakout. The name and what has him so bullish when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. First, it was the White House. Now the Democrats are taking on drug companies. The House Oversight Committee chairman sending letters to a dozen companies asking for detailed information about their pricing practices. Will the Hill's battle over drug prices ultimately hurt health care stocks, Tim? You know what? I, I just feel somewhat kind of worn down by this whole conversation for the sector. I think the, the most important thing for the sector remains valuations. It remains certainly pipeline. In some cases, some companies that just uh, at some point the balance sheet became too compelling in a world where we're giving back uh, a lot of capital and frankly markets were in a defensive mode and these were the best names to play that remains to me the most important story i've heard it from both sides of the aisle and and it gets a little tiresome i'm not telling you that i think drug prices are, are a wonderful thing for the american mm-hmm. people so uh, let congress do their job on this by the way they're, they're barely doing their job on anything <laughs> right now so you know what I think this continues, and I don't think it necessary is why you want to trade this sector. There's nothing I've heard in this conversation that changes my view. They can't agree on a border wall, but they certainly can agree both sides can. Yeah, the drug prices thanks. are too high. I mean, that's that's something that has not changed at this point. And you have the state of California now coming into this debate saying, we want to use our position as the most populous state to try and negotiate better drug prices as well. They're feeling it well, from all different levels of government at this point. Are you concerned about that? Or has things, have things changed enough for you to start getting concerned? I, I mean, I share Tim's point of view that it, it's great. It's great politics, actually. I'm so skeptical about the their ability to get anything done, and they haven't been able to in the past. Why has it over and over and over again this these efforts have failed? Maybe California is a little different. If you think the drugs priced in already, mm-hmm. that skepticism, 
then they're probably a good place to hide. Yeah, I, I would just add one point. I think there's very few issues that are as unique as drug pricing where it's just populist and it works on both sides. And if there was ever going to be some sort of compromise, this would be a place that I don't think there's too many uh, voters out there who'd be disappointed about it. It's not ideological unless you're a pharma lobbyist or a pharma executive. All right. Well, Pete here thinks that one of these names is going to come out ahead in the battle over drug prices. So why don't you head over to the plaza and give us your fast pitch? Well, and Tim brought up a couple things. He was talking about valuation. He was talking about pipeline. I'm going to be talking about the same exact thing. And that's what makes this so great, I think, because we can't control those things that are going on in Washington. We obviously listen to them. But I got to tell you something. Pfizer. This is a really great company that had a great 2018, and we'll have to see if they're going to be able to repeat that, maybe even do a little bit better in 19. It's going to be very difficult. But I'll tell you what, what I really like is brand new CEO in there. He's been with the company for over 25 years. He likes the way things have been running. He was a COO. He was in the innovation side as well. But I think because of his background, we already know who he is, and they're not going to go out and look for massive acquisitions. They'd rather find some bolt-ons that are out there in, in, in phase two and phase three. So because of that, I think you're very solid there. How about the strong fundamentals? This is a company that for the last decade has free cash flow of anywhere between 15 and $17 billion. I mean, this is a company that fundamentally, when you look at the 3.4% dividend yield, the buybacks, they've shrunk their share count by 14% over the last decade as well. So this is a company that is very committed to you, the shareholder. That's why I've owned it as long as I have, which is probably going on about 12 years now. I'll tell you what, this pipeline really does excite me. Now, there's not a lot of growth in revenues right now. You look at earnings, all the rest of that. But when you look at the pipeline and you see 25 to 30 drugs in the pipeline by 2022 that likely are going to make it to market, at least they think so, 15 of them are in the blockbuster category. That really says a lot to me. When you look at that, Tim talked about pipeline, I'm talking about that. I think that is what you really get excited about right now. Hey, Pete, talk about yeah. this product. You are talking about the product pipeline, and in fact, I think this is the place where you get reacceleration. Is there a name in that pipeline that gets you most excited uh, for the kind of short to medium term? Well, I, I got to tell you this. Here's the, the important thing as well that I didn't mention was four different uh, drugs in the cancer area actually got approved last year. They are getting the fulfillment that they want out of their phase three. And oh, by the way, they're spending $8 billion every single year on R&D. So this is a company that's committed. And I think they've got a lot of depth within that pipeline, Tim. So I don't know that I pull out any one specific drug right now. All right. How much do you think this, this, um, the market has priced in fear of drug pricing being uh, an issue. Yeah, they probably haven't, Karen, because when you look at what's going on with this stock, it actually had a pretty amazing run towards the end of last year. Really nice 2018. We haven't seen a run like that in quite a long time. But it got a little choppy in here, and obviously between the president and now, as we're hearing from the Democrats as well, coming after the different drug pricing thing, I think that's an issue. I think that you can't just say, hey, that's something you can't look past. But I think at the same time, you've just got to realize right now that when you look at the fundamentals, we know the fundamental story, and I don't think that part's going to change, particularly in terms of the pipeline and what really is coming till 2022. No more questions here. Yep. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Pfizer? Dan, what do you say? Uh, good pitch. I, I think the whole pricing issue, I'm not a buyer, though. I think the whole pricing issue, and I think the potential for large acquisition is one of the things that could make it have a worse 2019 other than that great 2018. You're afraid that it's going to buy something. Yeah. Yeah. No. Karen. Uh, I would pass also because of the same, the drug pricing issue. However, if I were to be in this space, this is probably the one. This or Merck would be where I'd go. 
Tim. Well, I tell you what, Pete, I'm in there. I guess I don't matter anymore, but I'm a buyer. <laughs> um, I think it's a very important stock for the market we're in, which, frankly, the, the, the risk around this market doesn't change. I think there will be costs attached to new product launches, and that concerns me on the bottom line. One buy, two sells here on the desk. But more importantly, are you at home buying Pete's pitch for Pfizer? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Oh, Pete's losing so far. So please vote. We'll reveal the results later on in our chat. Want to beat the market? Of course you do. One top fund manager's three stocks she says could see monster returns this year. We'll give you the names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. While 2018 was a rough year for the broader markets, one tech-heavy fund stayed above the water. The ARK Innovation Fund ending the year in the green ended is up more than 10% just this month. Joining us now with their top picks to beat the market in 2019 is ARK Invest founder and CEO Kathy Wood. Kathy, it's great to see you. Thanks so, so much for joining us. Thank you. um, you've got a lot of picks. We're going to focus on your top three. Okay. One is one that we've already uh, talked about tonight, and that is Tesla. Tesla. And we were having this discussion about how everybody at the Detroit Auto Show has a has a target on Tesla's back. They want to be in EVs. They want to scale yeah. up. It's such validation. <laughs> such validation. It's so great. I love it. I love it. It's validation. The market is, we believe the transportation industry is going to shift wholesale to electric. And Tesla's ahead of the pack. Why, way can't, ahead why of the pack. can't a GM or why can't a Ford or why can't any of these automakers with production expertise ramp up production just like Tesla did? Tesla, yeah. People are amazed right, at right. Tesla's ramp. Yes. Why can't they do it? it it's, it's DNA. It's DNA. So Tesla is ahead in three very important categories. It will be very hard to catch Tesla when it comes to battery cost, uh, batteries and battery cost decline, battery technology. Uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence chip, it has its own Everybody else will use NVIDIA, but their design cadence is more like three to five years. Tesla's is every year to two years, so completely different dynamic. And then the third dynamic, which will be really difficult to catch, is the miles of data they have collected from their own customers. More than 10 billion, they're adding more than a billion a quarter, well more than a billion a quarter. And I think Google, Waymo, which is the closest behind them, is maybe a hundred to two hundred million miles worth of data. That's what powers an autonomous vehicle and that's where we're going. In terms of the batteries, these car makers, their cost of the battery I presume would be higher because they don't have their own battery factory or is it? I mean are they able to source from other places? So there are two reasons. One, we do believe they need to vertically integrate and uh -huh. Volkswagen just is the first traditional auto manufacturer to announce that it, it uh, will uh, do that. The second is they are all operating with lithium-ion pouch batteries, not lithium-ion cylindrical batteries that uh, Tesla is. So Tesla is riding down the consumer electronics cost curve, which is much, much lower than that lithium-ion pouch. Uh, so, you know, in the early days, no one wanted to do batteries this way. In fact, they made fun of Tesla for building its car on top of cell phone batteries that were going to blow up. Right. They've done an amazing thing from an engineering mm -hmm. point of view. No one else thought was possible. That puts them way ahead of the game. A couple of other uh, picks that you like, or a few other, Square, PayPal in the payment space. Yes. Apple, you like Apple. But in terms of the themes overall in 2019, you also like things like gene editing. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, yes. 3D printing. I mean, you're looking, are these 2019 specific themes or are these themes that have existed in your portfolio from its inception? So the, uh, we have a five-year time horizon. Um, these ideas you're talking about, we just published today in our Big Ideas report. It's on our site, arc-invest. 
Um, and yes, uh, we think there are going to be some proof points for gene editing. Um, they were mauled, these stocks, Intelia, Editas, and CRISPR Therapeutics, mauled at the end of last yeah. year because of the CRISPR twins. Well, this year, we are going to get uh, proof positive, we think, uh, that uh, Editas's, uh therapy is going to help cure pediatric blindness. We should get those results this year. This is not going to... So there to are catal specific catalysts to 2019. They have populated human trials. It will take several months, maybe six months, for this gene therapy to uh, you know, really take effect. And then by the end of the year, we should have an answer. It works in mice. It works in non-human primates. We think it's going to work in humans. You know, if I had told you in the late 90s, the tech and telecom bubble, that we were going to see cures for things like blindness and cancer and diabetes, um, my guess is that the three companies with the foundational patents there, which would be the three I mentioned, uh, they would have scaled to $100 billion, you know, dream the dream. They can't even get to $5 billion, the three of them together. This is completely misunderstood technology. Right. One last quick question because we're out of time, but this is fascinating to me. 3D printing, mm -hmm. this is something that we had talked about a long time ago, yeah, and these yeah. stocks were fads. Mm -hmm. Why 2019? Why is it uh, this year that these things will work? Well, we th uh, for a couple of reasons. The fad was all about consumer. Right. That's not where 3D printing is going. Uh, 3D printing is being integrated into aerospace companies. It cuts costs, weight, we knew that, though, well, No, no, but it's ago. taken the FAA a long time okay. to approve this. So finally, a company like Stratasys is being uh, integrated into Airbus and Boeing uh, planes. These are performance part. Our director of research says every part on a plane is performance part. But they are, they, and that's because they're so much better. And if you combine 3D printing with machine learning or artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. you can cut weight by 75 to 90 yeah. percent. These companies, Boeing, Airbus, their, their gross margins are in the 15 to 20 percent range. You get a, a cost cut of 50 to 75 percent in any one of their parts, that's going to give them an idea. We've got to do this throughout this plane. So they're on 0.1% of these planes right now. They could get to, we think, 20% of the planes. And they go right into by, 20, by the end of the year? No, not kind of thing. Or this is over on, no, 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 a this, decade? This is something where we will see these companies talking about 3D uh -huh. printing. And uh, it takes a long time to get into these design cycles. Sure. And what you'll find is a Forum Labs, which is a private company, 10 times sales. Right. You know, they're dreaming the dream in the private markets. Public market Stratasys is being integrated into these planes, mm -hmm. one and a half times sales. It's crazy. Kathy, fascinating stuff. We hope you'll come back sometime soon. Sure. Thank you. Thank Kathy Redd of ARC Thank Invest. You. What do you think well, of all these themes? You guys want ideas. You just got a whole host mm -hmm. of them. Stratasys is a billion-dollar market cap. It's got $350 million in cash and basically no debt. And she just laid out a really brilliant uh, you know, next five years for this company. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Coming up, General Electric surging more than 30% off its lows last month. And one trader just bet the rally could continue over the course of the next year. We've got the details. Plus, let's take a look at our Kramer cam. There you see Jim talking about one soaring retailer he says is a bargain buy right now. You can find out why at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money. One top analyst calling it the end of the apocalypse for GE today as the stock has soared off its lows last month. That note sparking a flurry of activity in the options market. Dan's over at the plasma with all the action, Dan. Yeah, so call volume today, Mel, was two times that of puts. There seemed to be a lot of rolling action. There was an interesting trade that caught my eye when the stock was a little below nine bucks. It looked like a trader sold to close uh, 11,000 of the June 2019 10 calls uh, at 63 cents and bought to open 10,000 of the January 2020 10 calls for $1.23. That roll apparently cost about 60 cents here. So obviously this trader was positioned possibly for a move above 10 by June expiration, rolling that view out to January 2020. The charts are really interesting in this one. We know that this thing obviously had a horrible 2018, um, you know, got a little bounce here. I think it got a little below seven bucks here. Here's the one year chart. This is where it seemed to have some support. This is why I think this level near 10 is kind of important because it had this pretty sharp bounce late year, but then it just collapsed. It's up about 30% from those lows late last year. Um, let's just go to the longer term chart here. Here's the problem with this thing right now. I know these guys are going to have a lot to say about the fundamentals of the company. The technicals are just downright horrible. Just draw that line, um, that down trend, it gets you right back um, to 10 bucks. So there's still an awful lot of technical resistance on this thing. Almost anybody who did not buy this stock in the last couple weeks is down money, and they're going to be looking for opportunities to kind of get out at some point um, with a little liquidity on any good news. Well, I look at it sort of differently. I look at the equity as an option on this very large collection of assets that hopefully they're able to do something with. Either the businesses will fundamentally turn around. Industrials have been a difficult place to be. I think as it's sort of a virtuous cycle, too. As the stock trades higher, people are going to feel more confident in the name. It'll be easier to roll over debt that they have. So I have some 2020 leaps. I think there's a reasonable shot they're able to do it, but the leaps allow me to know exactly what I can lose if they've perhaps misjudged a fair number of their liabilities, and it's worse than we thought. Visibility in the balance sheets, everything for this company, because that's where the dilution comes in. On some level, we almost want to see some kind of a recap, and I think it could be smaller than people think, even though um, that's if you get it. Uh, I, I just think that the trading in the stock has gotten to a place where you've really, uh, you've exhausted, I, I think, the, the, the active sellers. Some of the parts still works. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. For more Options Action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Time to reveal the results of our Twitter poll for Pete's pitch on Pfizer. You know the drill. Mm. Cue the Tony Braxton remix. Oh, no. Sorry, the Twitterverse just was not buying your pitch. The oh, remix, too. It's even worse. I love the Braxton. 64% said wow. no. The remix, Pete. Sorry Final trade. I'm going to double dip anyway, and I love that Tony Braxton. I, I pitched Pfizer. How about Merck, too? <laughs> this thing's going higher. Giddy up. <laughs> what the? Tim. Again, we're, we're not necessarily saying the best. Banks are in an environment where they should be kicking you-know-what, but it is an environment where they should not be trading at these valuations. BAC, nice. out in a couple Get days. Get there. This remix is just god-awful. Yeah. Karen. Still well, I'm very Doesn't much in, in Tim's camp. J.P. Morgan tomorrow we'll get to see. I, it is the cream of the crop. It deserves a premium valuation, and it really doesn't have one relative to the market. And, you know, Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon. Well, All yeah. right. So if Long. the banks can't rally tomorrow, I think you sell the whole group because they're going to make a new low. Or they're gonna is that your, is oh, that your, you is know what power pitch, pitch I like? I like Kathy's of Stratasys, S-S-Y-S. That'll get you done. Kathy right? had a triple That does it for pitch. us. Yeah. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Enjoy Tony Braxton, the remix. Mad Money starts right now. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.